She'll give some hearty amens, I'm sure, in her baby voice. Okay, so thank you all for that. It's always such an encouragement. And, and so much, uh, and I know Danny and Peggy know this, but it's just so personal to have something like this from the church. So thank you very much. All right, so uh, again, thanks to uh, David and Grace. That was very special, really wonderful. For those of you that are guests with us today, we're glad to have you with us. What a special day this is for all of us as Mother's Day was. And because of that, you'll notice there are some beautiful flowers here on the front, thanks to uh, our brother Lincoln, who works at Sam's Club. And uh, they have times of dedication of things that they just need to share. And so he called us yesterday and said, hey, got these uh, flowers, would love to give them to the church. And you know, it's so timely because uh, we didn't give you anything for Mother's Day. Some of you are probably still pretty upset about that. So you can thank Lincoln for this, and um, Debbie will help you take care of this after the service. Now, here's the deal. I threatened the first service. Okay, you remember this happened last time. Remember, they took all the flowers last time from them. So listen, there were some people whose knees were knocking together this morning. It was really scary at one point because I was laying the law down to them. Make sure you save some of these flowers for the second service. And they did. So they knew better. Anyway, I'm just being totally silly about that. So anyway, make sure that, ladies, you get flowers before you leave. Men, we have a copy of a book for you. This is by Pat Morley. You know, I like him as an author. Um, This is called The Four Voices, Taking Control of the Conversation in Your Head. This is his newest work. There's one in the back if you haven't already gotten one. Really quick read, but it's really good about the flesh, the spirit, and uh, Satan, and also the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And when I say spirit, I'm talking about the internal work of man. So uh, a good work to make sure that you pick that up, okay, as our gift to you. Just a couple other things. Uh, Hats off to Neil and Thea again and for the team that did the work uh, for Friday night. Rick for singing as much as he did. You know, um, there were some crazy people out there, you know, we won't mention them. But um, it looked like they were having too good of a time. So uh, some people even represented the Dallas Cowboys were here, you know, just <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. So thank you all for what you did. I actually got on the merry-go-round yesterday with Hadley and Everett and, and almost lost my lunch. But, uh, <laughs> and, and in fact, Hadley was on it at one point and, and Nathan and I were saying, honey, you can get off. It's okay. Cause she was starting to fuss cause she was getting a little nauseated and she said, no, it's too fun. <laughs> and so she got back up on it again. So Anyway, it's really, really awesome, really great. Um, Also, no youth gathering tonight. The youth will meet with Pastor Scott next week at his house, and they should be well-versed by this right now. Last time I'll mention this, there's story time again. Thea is reading on Monday nights at 7 p.m. If you're interested in helping out with that, I'm sure see her, and she'd be greatly interested in you helping. Uh, Some people have asked about our fellowship meals starting. We're planning on doing that as soon as possible. We just got to just... Uh, work out a couple of the little kinks in our discussion as elders, but um, we're thinking that that'll start up pretty soon, okay? So uh, some of you have been really missing that, and and we need to get started on that. Okay, that's a lot of announcements, a lot going on. Thank you for your patience, uh, but it's good to be a part of God's family, isn't it? What a joyful occasion. It really is every Sunday. Okay, so um, because it's Father's Day, like Mother's Day, I just want to step away from Matthew for just a little bit and do what we did then and focus on some things that God gives as instruction now for men. So, man, I'd ask you to pay attention this morning because God has some, some things he really wants to share with all of us. And if, no, if, if for no other reason uh, you're here, you know this passage well, you've studied it thoroughly, it'll be a good reminder for you. And if nothing else, it's God's word, right? And so we want to make sure we pay attention to that. So let's pray and then we'll stand and read the text. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, again, what a beautiful display of uh, your handiwork as we see a precious child uh, like Marin uh, before us. And all children, just, just the creation itself just displays you such, in such a marvelous way. Thank you, Lord, that we are not just amoebas. We're not just cells. We're not just things. But we are living souls made in your image. And Lord, we celebrate you and honor you because of that. Today we celebrate fathers. We celebrate men and the the, the joy of what it means to be a man, just like we celebrated the joy of what it means for women to be mothers and godly women. And so we come before you now, Lord, honoring you and 
praising you and looking to you to be our source of life in all ways. And so teach us, we pray, as we hear your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please stand with me as we look into the role of a godly man. And I'm specifically saying that because I don't want to just limit this to fathers. God doesn't do that, so we're not going to do that. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Now, skipping to verse 6, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. All right, you may be seated. Very brief, only a couple verses here, three verses to be exact, but a lot of information in there that we need to take a moment to look at. Now you remember in our study on Mother's Day, just the context of Titus is, is that Paul is giving, first of all in chapter 1, he's giving instruction to elders. He's giving more specifically instruction to Titus to understand how to find elders and what qualifications there need to be in the lives of men who will become elders in the church. Because evidently there were many men in the day that Paul wrote this who were not living godly lives. And I think that's the reason why he does what he does. And even so much so that they were upsetting evidently whole households, Paul says. I don't know what that looked like, but evidently it was not good. This was all in chapter 1. So the church was really in a flux. And so Paul gives instruction to Titus of which we just read today, to help people of all ages. We've looked at the older women. We've looked at the younger women last time. Today we're looking at the older men and younger men. And so as a foundation for all of his instruction, Paul says to Titus, speak, or in other words, teach what supports or comes from sound doctrine. And we've again studied this before. The word sound in Greek means healthy. It's the word where we get uh, pharmacy from, and so it comes from the same kind of idea. Doctrine is just the teachings or the biblical instruction. So, Titus, here's your instruction from me, Paul. That is to teach healthy biblical instruction. I guess you could say it this way. You are to speak and teach the things that align with sacred scripture. And that's very appropriate, right? And we've tried to live by that here at Laurel Hill where we're not preaching just our opinion or teaching our opinion, but we're giving truth as it comes to us from the word of the Lord. And so when Paul says, speak what is fitting there in verse one, the word fitting or prepo in Greek means proper or suitable. Okay? So he's using these words. This is obviously from the spirit. Speak proper or suitable things. In other words, there is a proper way if we're reading between the lines here from Paul, there is a proper way for men to live, men who profess to be believers. And so we need that instruction, and that's what's given here, meaning the people of the church, really of all ages, in this grouping of verses are to understand their spiritual role in life. That's really what's happening here. And once we understand our spiritual role, then we're to live accordingly. In other words, we're not just to profess Jesus as Lord of our life and then go live any way we want to. That's not how it works. We're to live according to what we say we believe. And that's because we are to be different from the world. Many times we've said, uh, like many others, we're to live in the world, but we're not to be a part of the world, right? Paul would say later that we would have to leave this world if we're going to be absent of the effects of the world. It's just not possible. But we can live in this world but not be a part of it, which is why he says to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 of Ephesians, I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Now, in case you didn't know, the word Gentiles there is just another way of talking about unbelievers. So don't walk that way. Don't live that way in the futility of their mind. And boy, don't we see that. The unsaved mind lives that way being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They just don't know. There's an ignorance there because of the hardness of their heart. So there's a willfulness in their ignorance as well. God is saying, don't live like that. They having become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. In other words, again, very simply put, 
to the church in Ephesus, Paul is now going to reiterate some of these things to the older men and to the younger men. You have a certain life that God is expecting you to live. Now, let's grow up and live that way so that you could become true followers of him. So let's take a look at verse 2 in this first subject that he brings to us. First of all, he says, Titus is to instruct older men. Now, who is he really talking about here? Again, if you're with us on Mother's Day, you'll know that the word older referred to women who were past the childbearing years. That was typically around the age of 40, right? There are some discrepancies with all that. We said that there was a woman at that point a month ago that we had heard that had a baby at the age of 55, 56, something like that. And sometimes we hear of different times, but typically we said that this was about the age for childbearing. Now, child rearing comes much later. We have people who rear their children much later into life. And so there's a difference here. This is the group he's talking about now, the older ones, the ones who are in the child-rearing age when it was coming to the women, who were anywhere from the 40-plus. And we kind of camped on the age of about 60, somewhere in there, give or take 5, 10 years. Now, Paul is now saying for these older men, as he was saying to the older women, You guys who have reached older age, and literally that word means just that, about 60. It doesn't mean 60, but those of you who are in the older years of life, and we're saying that that's about 60, which is, now the number 60 comes from Philemon, where Paul refers to himself as the aged one or the aged one. And we know historically that Paul was about that age when he he wrote the letter to Philemon. Now, I know what some of you all are thinking. You're thinking, I don't think of myself as aged or aged. You know, I'm only 60 years of age. What are you talking about? Well, some of you will also remember Miss Louise North. We talked about her last time. Uh, When she was in her 90-plus years, she was still driving. And she told me one time, you know, my body is kind of telling me that uh, it can't do the things that it once did, but my mind tells me I'm still in my 20s. And that's kind of how she lived her life until her dying days, until her body just wouldn't keep going. But let me remind you that the Spirit of God says to us in Psalm 90 verse 10 that the age of a person is about 70 or 80 years if the Lord gives them strength. Now, I've used this illustration before, but just as a good visual, because it's good for me, take out your tape measure, and I just happen to have one here this morning. Um, it's amazing. I was telling the early service, it was in my pocket earlier, and now it's on the podium. It just These things just happen. It's just kind of funny how that works. And I pull out the tape measure to the number 70. Where are we here? 70. Okay, that's 70 years. And then simply just find your age on the number scale. Now, I'll be 57 tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, okay, right. So Rick said, can you move your thumb so you can see mine? Well, the point is, you know, you could go on up a little bit, but there's coming an end, and the psalmist says, listen, 70 years is about what God gives us, unless he gives us a little bit more strength. And so, you know, there's not a lot of years left when you're just purely thinking from the perspective of what the the Lord says here. And so what we're going to do, we need to do. And so Paul is instructing Titus to say, hey, listen, to the men in this category and the women in this category, there's some specific instruction that you need to help them to see. Okay, And that's what he's doing here. So specifically then he says, you older men, number one, are to be temperate. By this time in your life, you should be temperate. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, The word temperate is often connected with or used with the thought of intoxication or soberness in the sense of alcohol. Well, that's true. That's certainly used that way. But the the emphasis here is on the spiritual, of course. And so it really is saying a man who follows God is to live a sober life. He's to live a sober life. In other words, we could say sober-minded By the time he hits this age, he should have soberness in his judgment. A man who takes carefully the things that come about, and we'll talk about that a lot more in just a few minutes. I guess you could say he is to be clear-headed. Another way to say it is he is to live a restrained life. In other words, he 
controls his life. In fact, figuratively, the meaning literally is to hold oneself in or to hold himself in or like one who has a halter on himself. And you kind of picture that in your mind of of working with animals. I guess we could also say, if we're just kind of covering all of the thought with this, is he lives his life not blown about by all the distractions of the world. And there are lots of distractions. Now, he's doing this or living this way because he's learned how to trust God and not get lost in the chaos. And we're here to say this morning there's a lot of chaos, right, with life. But there's a sense of growingness in the Spirit of God that helps a man who is in the Lord to understand that I don't need to be blown about by everything that comes along. I don't need to be pushed and pulled by everything that hits me. But instead, I'm able to remain focused, at least with the help of the Spirit of God, and not get lost in the thinking that takes me back and forth with life and be more clearly in line with being discernible and discerning what's important and what's not important. And there's lots of things like that. I suppose if we drug it out, we could say another way to think of this is that a godly man knows enough, knows when enough is enough. That's what the Lord's saying. To be temperate means I'm satisfied with the way life is. I don't need to live an extravagant life. I don't need to live a life of overindulgence which is what Paul gives to us as an example of himself to the church in Philippi when he said, I know how to get along with humble means. Listen to how he says this. I know how to do this. Well, that's because he lived it. I know how to live in prosperity. I've lived on both sides of the fence of this. And in, every and every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having an abundance and suffering need. I've lived all of that in life. And so his instruction to Titus is, for the men of the church, help them to see that this is the way you should be living now. This is your attitude towards everything. Jesus was another example, and the greatest, of course, of examples of all of these instructions. You remember in Matthew 8, as we studied through the Sermon on the Mount, he says just afterwards that uh, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wasn't complaining. He was, setting to, he was set out to do his Father's will. And he didn't concern himself with all of the things he was missing and get lost in all of the things. He was very temperate, we could say, in his attitude towards life. And this could be used with anything, whatever subject you want to put it under, uh, temperate or sober-minded with the use of money. We don't need to be blown about by what is and isn't with our income, our time, our energy, but always weighing everything based on what's important and the most important, which is following the Lord. We're not to get overly involved and distracted by our feelings. Again, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Necessarily, our feelings are important, right? We've talked about this many times before. They're given to us by God, but too often people are driven by their feelings. They're driven by their emotions, no matter what happens in this life. But God says, my people are not driven that way, and specifically to the men. In fact, I can remember just personally as I was going through this thinking in my own life as a young man, my dad often saying to me, now just be patient, <laughs> just be patient, and uh, there was a, I think it was a German word. I was telling the early service this. I couldn't find it online, and I don't have dad or mom to ask anymore. Um, but there was a German word he was used, would use that would mean something like this. Just a minute. Just wait. Be patient. And I can hear him in my mind saying that to me as I was fussing as a young man about certain things. I can also remember... Uh, Mom and dad being fairly financially stable throughout my growing up years. And Sunday night was the big night for the big meal. And dad loved to cook steaks on the grill. And so Sunday night was that awesome time of the big baked potato and steaks. And I'm not talking about these little thin wimpy things. I'm talking about mom would go to the local butcher who she'd made friends with at the little country store. And he would slice off a a ribeye steak or a T-bone or something that was like this. And it was just a really special night every Sunday night. But then when Debbie and I got married, I remember going into Kroger where we lived there in Lynchburg and being really upset because I'd walk by the meat market and I'm like, why can't we afford that? And just grousing about it. 
And so I was not very temperate in my life at those moments uh, or sober when it comes to those simple things in life. And I'm sure many other things, if dad and mom were here now, they could attest to that very easily. Secondly, Paul says, the older man is to be dignified, dignified. What does that mean? Well, the word literally means honorable. He's to be honorable. Some say worthy of respect. That's a great trait, uh, to be serious. So if you put all those together, you would say that this man lives his life in a way that others recognize that he is a man that can be trusted, and he's honored for that. That doesn't mean he can't have fun. I'm thankful for that because I love to have fun. Many of you love to have fun. It doesn't mean that he's just become a stiff and he walks around in his little Lord Fauntleroy suit and uh, just can't have any fun with life. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about there needs to be a balance. He knows how to approach things. When it needs to be serious, it's serious. When it's funny, it's funny. And he doesn't waver on one way or the other in the extreme. Sadly, and I believe this is why God has given this instruction, is that we know contextually there were men who weren't living this way. That's why households were being upset. The church was kind of a ruckus. There were people who were supposed to be the mature ones who were to be honored were not. And so evidently they were living kind of silly, frivolous lives, always maybe, and you've met people like this, always looking for the next fun thing. You've seen some of those older men that you just kind of look at them and you go, honey, you shouldn't be looking like that right now. That's just not the way you should be acting. It's not the way you should be talking. It's not the way your life is set up at this point in your life. And you can see that by how people dress. And I'm not poking at anybody. I'm just simply saying there are sometimes the attitude of the heart comes out in the way we express ourselves externally. Always trying to be the young guy, the young man, instead of recognizing that, hey, life is changing for me and it's okay. I can be the serious one a little bit more now. I can learn how to be the man that God really wants me to be and stop trying to be the man that I once was. And so this godly man knows how to have fun in life, and that's not a problem. He knows it's uh, the thing that God would have for him, uh, but he's not to be a part or shouldn't be a part of the crudeness of life. You know, that should just be obvious as a true believer. We're not part of immoral conversations or the crude jokes or anything like that. He doesn't hang around the water fountain with the boys and come up with the latest sarcastic kind of thing. You get the picture there. And in my mind's eye, I have images of people that I've known like that over the years. But this is what God is bringing us out of. In fact, Paul would say to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, immorality and any other impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And how about this? There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather of giving thanks. So in other words, this man, Paul is saying to Titus, teach him to be serious about his life so that people will honor him. He doesn't spend his time also being careless about just, as I've already said, following after his feelings. And the reason all of this is, is because he should want to follow God. That should be his main priority in life. God knows how to have fun, right? God wrote the book on fun. That's why you and I are able to have fun. We had fun Friday night. We have fun now. But it's not the kind of fun that the world looks for. And so this godly man then has lived long enough to go through the difficult things, the really tragic things at times. Maybe he's at this point lost parents more than likely. I mean, I can't imagine somebody being in this age and parents still be living, but that's possible. Uh, maybe even lost a child at this point in life. Maybe, obviously, some close friends maybe lost a job, knows what it's like to lose all of those things, and men often look at those things as being the stability for life. Having gone through hard financial times, perhaps, watched others, their friends, go through these difficult situations. I guess we could say life has really kicked them around a lot. You know, we've often said that even among ourselves as parents. You know, there comes a point where our children have to grow up and go out of the house and let life smack them around a little bit because that's where the instruction really comes from. Well, God in his graciousness is saying to Titus, listen, instruct the older men to be the people that God would have you to be. And people who've come through a lot of the hard knocks understand this very well, who've been around the block and been 
in various situations over life. Paul says of himself, or actually says to the church in Corinth, in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And the context that he's talking about, he's, it's all about taking somebody to court, and he's simply saying, listen, God has given to you freedoms, but you're not to usurp those freedoms on somebody else or press down those freedoms on somebody else, but you're to back up and live freely in those freedoms and not just assume that it's your opportunity to boast in who you are and take advantage of somebody else. And so there's a lot behind that. We could spend a lot more time on that, but let's go on to the third one here. The godly man is to live sensible. He's to live sensible. This sounds very similar to what you're already hearing, but let's just talk about it here for a minute. Um, It's interesting because this is one of the attributes that's mentioned for all the age groups. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. But interestingly, not specifically spelled out to older women. Uh, I think, though, that since the instruction to older women is to teach the younger women to be sensible... An older woman's not going to be able to teach sensibility if she's not learned how to be sensible, right? So I think the Lord through the Spirit is simply saying this should be a given here. Now, what does he really mean by this? Well, sensible means to be sound of mind, to be healthy in the mind. I guess it could be translated to behave in a sensible manner. In other words, the older godly man is to think rationally. He's to be in control of his thoughts, and boy, that's a big subject, isn't it? We can, we can follow wrongly after our thoughts and take us in all kinds of irrational directions. And so we're to hold these things captive. In fact, Paul says to the church in Rome in chapter 12, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Okay, there it is again, that same idea, that we live our lives Thinking soundly, having a healthy mind in whatever it is that whether we need to use some type of discernment, which comes about all the time in life, right? We have to discern through things about decisions, especially as it comes about in godly living. We are careful about how we approach things. Oftentimes people will say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. We're free in the Lord. We can do whatever we want. But there's a sense in which you and I as God's people need to be careful about how we operate in this world because the world watches us. We're not to be the world. That's what Paul was saying earlier to the church in Ephesus. We live in the world, but we're not to be the world. And so we've got to be careful. There's a careful balance in all that, and it takes a lot of sensibility to reason through all of that. And so I guess you could think of this word as being wise to the world understanding the allurements so that we're not easily deceived by our earthly and physical passions. And it's so easily to be captivated by that. I want to share with you again something about my dad. Um, Father's Day, I thought this would be good as he meant so much to me. Thank you, David, for what you said and Grace, what you said. Um, As I was thinking through this, to me, my dad was a very sensible man. There were many times where Uh, People would talk about how much they loved him and his ability to disagree with people, but yet be so loving and gracious with them. He was one of those people that could just talk to you about something that was maybe totally wrong, but make you still feel good about yourself while he's correcting you. It's just such a great trait. Um, But at times it was very frustrating as a young boy because I remember there was one occasion where uh, I was working on a carburetor for our little lawnmower. And, uh, you know, as young men do, they just kind of decide to do things. And so I thought, I'm going to take this carburetor apart. Uh, Dad was at work, and he probably wouldn't have appreciated that at the moment. But I thought, well, it wasn't running exactly right, so I'd just take the carburetor off. And Dad was the town manager of our local town for 20 years, and so he knew everybody in the town. People greatly respected him. And there was one hardware store. It's still there, by the way. And um, the man who owned it, uh, worked on lawnmowers, and so I called him and said, hey, um, this is Bruce, you know, Stan's son, and I got a question about a carburetor, and so I began to tell him my concerns about the carburetor, and he just stopped me in midstream, and he said, listen, I don't have time to teach you how a carburetor works over the phone. If you want to bring the machine down to me, I'll be glad to look at it and fix it for you. And then he says, I got to go, and click, he hung up. 
I was so upset. I called dad and I said, dad, you're never going to guess what so-and-so just did to me. Now I'm thinking in my mind, dad's the town manager, right? He's going to go down there and he's going to give this man what for? You know what dad said? Now son, he's a busy man. He's got a lot on his plate and uh, he's right. He doesn't have time to help you with that right now. Well, that sounds like such a simple thing, but I got so irritated at my dad because he didn't take my side on this. But he was being so sensible. As I look back on that now, I think that makes so much sense. Right? And there were so many other situations like that that I remember. There was one man who was the head of the water treatment plant uh, who's now passed away. But he came into work drunk a couple occasions. And so my dad called him into the office, and dad told me the whole story. He called him into the office and said, Now listen, um, I'm giving you a warning that you can't keep doing this. This is just not going to work. The second time now, if this happens, I'm going to have to suspend you for 30 days without pay. And the third time, I'm going to have to let you go. Well, lo and behold, the man did end up coming, to drunk, coming in drunk again, and so Dad suspended him for 30 days. But all the while, Dad was saying to him when they met, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want you to know that God can help you with this. And lo and behold, the man gave his life to Jesus and served the Lord faithfully after that. And there's just so many other stories that I could tell you about that as my dad being a sensible man to me. Uh, when I think biblically, I think there are lots of examples in, in Scripture as well. The Lord Jesus, of course. But King David, to me, is a man who learned what it meant to be sensible. You know, he made such a mess of his life in the early days, so driven by his passions for the kingdom and then his time with Bathsheba and a, a son and then murder and just just such a mess. And then ultimately losing the kingdom and running from his own son, Absalom. Remember the story in 2 Samuel? I won't take time to read it all, but it's a, it's a very interesting story. I remember the first time I read this, and I brought this up to us before, but it's a scene where David is with his men and he's kind of on the hideout from Absalom. And one of Saul's men sees David and he comes up and he begins to just curse and, and profane David in an ungodly way, throwing rocks at him. And, and his head guy, David's head guy says, hey, king, you want me to go cut this guy's head off right now? I mean, let's just take care of this dead dog. And David says, no, don't do that. Because for whatever reason, listen, I'm running from my son. I've made a mess of my life. God is allowing him to do this. And so let's, let's let God do his own thing. And I've often thought about that in this light. Is that Paul, maybe Paul had David in the background of his mind as he's thinking about sensibility. Going through the school of hard knocks and learning from your mistakes has this way of training the heart to be sensible when emotions want to drive you the other direction. And I think that's what Paul's saying. Titus, listen, teach the older men you can't be driven about by this kind of thing. You've got to be sensible in the way you approach life. Now, these final things, we'll get through these fairly quickly. He is to be sound in faith. Sound, again, for healthy. He is to be a man of faith, to live in strong faith, believing in God and who he, who he says he is. Because now, at this point in life, by the age that he is, God has proven himself to be faithful, right? Isn't that how it works? You start out trusting Jesus as your Savior, but then over the course of your life, God proves himself over and over and over and over again. And so he's come to the place now where he understands that even though he doesn't fully understand what God has done, that he's now trusting him because he knows that he is God. He believes, Philippians 4.19, that God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. And you see, there becomes this settledness about him because his faith is driving the ship. It's no longer him who's driving. He's backed up enough now to have his confidence in the Lord and trusting him for all things. He doesn't lose hope in God when things don't go his way. Because he knows that God is God. He doesn't abandon God when things are hard or things are difficult. And there are many people who have done just the opposite. I could give you names of people who have come and gone through the church who get to their older life and walk away from the Lord. Our kids were just telling us about a pastor who, who uh, had been in his church for 35 years who uh, just uh, resigned, I guess, or said he was going to retire and had come to find out he was having an affair. 
And so there are times where even people who are in godly positions lose sight of what God really wants. And so the instruction is, listen, don't live your life that way. Just the opposite. Live by faith. Trust God. In fact, I think Paul would throw this in there. He didn't, but I think he could easily. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know it well, right? Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Lean not on what? Your own understanding. But what? Acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll do what? He will direct your paths, right? There's no ifs, ands, or buts there. But to follow that means you have to operate in faith. You've got to believe what God says. Or like the psalmist in Psalm 31. Those of you who are with us on our Wednesday night. As for me, I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in what? Your hands. See, that's a, that's a heart of faith. When everything about me wants to look around the world and say, I don't understand why life is like this. That's what our humanness wants. But the heart of faith says, but instead of doing that, I'm going to trust you because my life is in your hand. This is what he's talking about. Now, fifthly, sound in love. This means he is healthy in the way he loves, the way he expresses his love. It's not through emotion again alone. Emotion is important. It's a very healthy thing at times. But this love, to be Healthy in love means that there is a thoughtfulness to it. There's a caring aspect of it. A person or a thing is, a person or someone else in some situation is not just a scenario to be fulfilled, but a person, a soul to be loved. And they love this way because they know that God is the one who is love first. Their love is not predicated on what they think or feel or operate from, but they're operating out of the basis of God being love. And they know that because God has loved them when they were not lovable. Jesus came to them first, right? The scripture says, no man seeketh after God. And so God came seeking them. Why? Because he is love. And so the motivation of his heart is not a permissiveness for anything that comes along, like with his family. He doesn't just go willy-nilly to whatever the kids want, but he shares carefully his love through concern. Have you thought about this? What do you think about that? Always wanting what's best, not giving in to those emotional pulls. And there are lots of parents who give in to emotional pulls, right? Even older men can give in to the emotional pulls. I hate to keep bringing that up, but it's such a drain on us, it being emotion, it's such a drain on us that we often make terrible mistakes when we respond out of emotion. But God says we are to live love out of truth. In fact, listen to how Paul says this in Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. They must go together. It's very easy to be a person of truth and leave out the love, but it's also easy to be so loving that you leave out the truth. We're to be equally balanced in this. And so Paul then would come along even to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13, that famous marriage chapter, if you will, and that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he follows it with the greatest of gifts, which is love. And he says love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. You hear Paul saying to the, to the man of God through this, that listen, if you're going to be a man who's sound in love, then there's going to be a lot of garbage you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to put up with a lot because people don't live like this. But you're to be different. You're to be an exemplary, you're to be an example of Christ who understands that to love is not an emotional-based thing, but it is founded upon the Word of God. It's very important that we understand that. In fact, he would look at 1 John 4, as John uh, says this in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. But not everybody who loves is born of God and knows God. And I'm flipping that verse around a little bit because Paul is, I mean, John is really arguing just the opposite. 
to be a person who truly loves in the way God is talking about here has to be from God because the world has no ability to love this way. But you do, man of God, because the Spirit resides in you. Now, sixthly, he is to be sound in perseverance. Now, I was saying to the early service, to me, this is really one of the hardest ones because it's really tough to persevere through something you just don't want to persevere through. The word means to endure, meaning that in a spiritual context, the man of God now has such faith in God that he can hold up under the most difficult of circumstances. And again, like we said before, there are a lot of people who do not hold up well through the tough things in life. But I hear the apostle saying to Titus, listen, Titus, you teach, you as the example do this, but also teach, keep putting your boots on every morning. Life may have been terrible the day before. It may be really bad right there now in this moment as you're going through whatever you're going through. But because you have the spirit of God living in you, keep getting up. Keep standing up. Keep fighting. When the dust of life settles, let it settle on all the ungodliness in the world, but you're still standing because you're persevering. It's like the football player who had the, uh, the coach who had the football player that was just the amazing player, and he would just knock everybody down. And so one day the coach calls for the college recruiter to come and look at his star player, and the college recruiter comes, and he's looking at this player, and the coach is going, look at this kid knocking everybody down. And the coach, the recruiter says, yeah, that is awesome. I'd like to talk to that kid, but I want to know who the kid is who he keeps knocking down all the time because he keeps getting back up. That's the one I'm interested in. You see, that's how we're to be. We get knocked down over and over and over and over and over and it just gets sickening as many times as we get knocked down. But because we have the Spirit of God in us, we keep getting up. And not just getting up to just go to work, but we get up knowing that we belong to God and we serve Him in our words and in our actions and in our thoughts. Not in perfection, but that's why we have the grace of God in us, right? But we keep going. And we don't let life drain us down. We live the Romans 8.28 passage. You know it well. All things what? Work together for good. Does that mean that all things are good? No. Some of you are experiencing very bad things right now. There are a lot of bad things in life. But the promise that we have from God is that all of those things somehow, even though Satan wants to destroy us, God will use them for our good. You see how it all ties together. The man of God lives by faith. He perseveres. He's sound in these things because he knows that God has the final answer and the final say. He's not blown about by what he thinks or feels, but he stands upon the truth. Paul said of himself in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on. Some of you this morning might be right on the boundary of quitting. There may be some of you that are just ready to throw in the towel. You're just saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't live this way anymore. And God is saying back to you, yes, you can because I'm with you. And you just take the posture of growing in me, trusting me, living for me, and I'll take care of all the things that you can't take care of. But Lord, I want it now. And God says, that's why I'm teaching you to be sensible. So I'm teaching you to live by faith because you can't make it through this life unless you follow what I'm telling you. This is sound doctrine. That's why Paul said to Titus, teach them healthy biblical instruction. This is from the Lord. You can do it. Because God lives in you. Now concerning young men, as we close this out, obviously the age is going to be anywhere from, we could say, 50 and below. Um, I guess, I don't know what category I fit in. I'm not the aged, I'm not the young. I'm somewhere in the middle. No, I'm just kidding. Notice verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Where this word urge has the idea of strongly encouraging someone. And that makes sense because of what we said earlier, that young men are often very, very passionate about what they believe, right? I've been a young man. I know what that's like. Many of you have as well. A young man often has his own way of thinking, 
often has his own way of doing things, even though others will counsel him in a certain direction. He'll say, well, I don't have to listen to that. I got it figured out, and I'm just going to do my thing my way. And so it's interesting to me that this is the only instruction that the Lord gives to young men. You know, the younger women, they had a kind of a laundry list of things, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, of things that they had to be learning. But with the young man, God just says, teach them to be sensible. Now, as I thought through this, I thought, okay, why is that, Lord? Well, I think that God is saying, because unless a young man learns how to live sensibly, he'll never be what I really want him to be in all the other areas. In other words, he's got to learn sensibility because if he doesn't, his family's going to be all over the place. His job will be all over the place. In other words, he may never even be able to hold a job down. He'll never be able to keep his feet under him unless he lives a sensible life. So if nothing else, Titus, teach the young men to be sensible. Let's think about this. Let's work through the problem. Let's focus on the solution instead of your feelings and your emotions. But again, young men often charge out with a wet towel in their hand looking for the gate of hell. And they're going to fix everything. So Paul says, urge them. The idea is push them, plead with them, work hard with them. Keep pushing them, again, to be sensible, which is interesting, again, that this is the only instruction here. Now, um, Paul also says to Titus, he understood his own youthfulness in ministry. I think Paul was giving this to Titus because he was saying to Titus in his own instruction, listen, Titus, I understand the pulls when it comes to youthfulness in ministry. I've been there before. You guys hired me when I was in my, my middle 30s. Been here a long time now. And I remember there were times where I just wanted to come in and fix things. I thought I had good ideas and I would just come in and say, hey, this is the way we need to do stuff. And a lot of men start out in ministry just like that. They take a church and instead of leading the sheep, they drive the sheep. Right? They just say, no, this is what we're going to do. By golly, I'm the pastor and you listen to me. And I don't know if you know anything about sheep or not, but that doesn't work real well. They have to know that the shepherd loves them and cares about them and, 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 and he wants the best for them. But a young man may come in and say, here's the agenda and we're going to follow it. And they'll just rip everything else up and they'll turn it upside down. Now, there's a place for that. There's times where that needs to happen and God uses that. But I think some of the biggest mistakes are made in ministry when that happens. That's just my personal opinion and from experience. Uh, The Lord has grown our hearts together in a lot of ways over the years. It's not been real easy all the time. There have been times you haven't liked me. There have been times I haven't liked you so much. I can't can't believe that. I mean, it's just shocking that, that I would even think such a thing. But it's true. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. But that's why we're a family. That's why we work together. That's why we grow in these things together because we need each other. That's why also Paul would say to Timothy, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let me show you a quick picture here. I've shown you this before. Christy, if we could show you this. I don't have my pointer, but for those of you who are watching online, uh, this is a picture that hangs in my office. You've seen it many times before if you've been in there. It was a picture that hung over the podium in my little church that I grew up in, and I told my mom one time that if you ever get rid of this in the church, I want a copy of it or I want that one. Well, she couldn't do that, but she found one online, and I've had it in my office ever since. The reason I love it so much is because it helps me to remember my role, and it helps me to know your role. If you see Jesus as the chief shepherd there and you notice the sheep that are all around him, you've got some in the front who are saying, come on, Lord, let's go this direction, right? And they're the drivers out telling Jesus where to go with the church. You've got the one who's kind of there with his buddy, but he's not paying so much attention. You've got some that are looking around off in the distance. You've got the black one there who's trying to cause all the problems, <laughs> right? Now, that's not black in skin tone, Okay. <laughs> That's black in spirit. And then notice the ones way back in the back. It looks like a pile of rocks. Those guys are just the ones who just could care less. I'm just glad to be along for the ride. You all do all the work. I just enjoy the benefits of it. You got the little guy way back by Jesus' elbow there. You probably, I don't know if you can see him or not. He's like, wait for me, Lord. And then you got the one 
the precious little one that's just staring in the face of Jesus. And this often reminds me of how we are in the church. Because I'm right there with you, right? I'm a sheep. But I also take on the role of a shepherd and understand these dynamics. And so this word of God is as much to me as it is to you. Which is why God leaves Titus with the instruction that he did in verse 5. Back up to that just for a second. Why all this instruction? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. There it is. It's the foundation of it all. Listen, beloved, we don't don't live the Christian life just because we want to tell God what to do. No, we follow him, right? We're the ones who need to be in the arm of the shepherd there looking into his face. But in order to do that and to live properly with each other, we've got to follow what he says for us to do. We can't get all flustered when something comes up that we don't like. We can't just operate out of our emotions. We can't just live according to what we want to believe instead of what we need to be believing. And so there's so much meat packed into this, and we've just really touched the top of it. Um, we just don't have time to go through it all. But it's a good godly man study for today, isn't it? As we think about the men who are in the aged group and, and the young men, you young men who are just coming up and, and learning about what life is all about and even in your early married years being able to say, what does life hold for me? Well, what life holds for you only God knows, like we said about Marin. But what we trust in is what God has already said to us. We just, if we listen, listen, if we just live by the book, the Lord will take care of the rest. Amen? I was telling somebody in my office just the other day, here's the deal. You just live this moment for the Lord. And that moment will turn into the next moment. And then the next moment. And then the next moment. And then in 30 years, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, every moment became about the Lord. And look what he did. Heartaches, yes. Troubles, yes. Brokenness, yes. But we're going to get through it. Why? Because he promised he would be with us if we do it his way. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day as much as we thank you for Mother's Day and as much as we thank you for every day. Because, Lord, you are our God. We're not acknowledging that from emotion, although emotion is good. We love it. We're so thankful that you've given us a heart of emotion and to feel and to enjoy. But, Lord, we base our life off of truth, your truth. And we want to be the people that you've called us to be. But we need your help, Lord. You know that we're weak. You know that our flesh fails us often. You know there's so many times we just want to give up. We just want to quit. But Lord, help us to remember in those darkest of times that you're with us the most. It's, when, it's then where you shine the light of your word on the path ahead of us and just tell us to put one foot in front of the other and just keep going in faith. So, Lord, teach us all these things that we we may walk with you in a healthy way so that we may be sound people who live according to sound instruction. Thank you for our day, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, ladies, your flag.